The following is a message by Dr. Dennis Johnson from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. God's Word comes to us again this morning from Jesus' prayer for his apostles and for his church, John 17. I will again begin to read at verse 11 and read through verse 21 today as we reflect again on this portion of Jesus' prayer for us. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, Because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. This is God's word. Let us ask him to write it into our hearts. Father, how thankful we are that even now, You are answering the prayer of your beloved son to protect us from the evil one in your name, in your word, the word that you gave to the son to give to the apostles and who that word that they have conveyed to us in the scriptures. Father, as (coughs) Jesus reigns and prays at your right hand, We war on this earth, the church militant, under attack from spiritual forces far beyond our own strength. And so we are so thankful for the spirit of truth, that other defender, advocate, protector, who is at work in us, in your church, not only to defend us, but also to extend the message of the gospel and through that message of the gospel extended by your grace to extend the gracious rule of Jesus into the hearts and lives of all of his elect in all of the nations. So Father, lift our eyes to see the mission that you've given to your church as you called your son in victory back to his place of supreme authority and give us grace to be faithful to that mission in dependence upon the strength that you give by your spirit working 
through your mighty word, which is the truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Two weeks ago, we were reflecting on this part of Jesus' prayer from the standpoint of his asking the Father to protect us. Jesus was returning to his Father. The next day, he would offer up himself as the sacrifice for our sins. A few days later, he would rise from the dead. Forty days after that, he would ascend to the Father's right hand. And he's spoken of coming back to the Father. But he left us here. He left the apostles here. The apostles and the church continue in this world that, as he says, hates us. Because it hates Jesus and because we've received his word. And even more dangerously in this world in which the evil one is at work. As John, as we saw a couple weeks ago, John says in his first epistle, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Even in a sense, after Jesus' resurrection has defeated Satan in the decisive battle. His death and resurrection has won the victory, and yet still the evil one is at work in this world. Even after all that, Satan is still sifting Jesus' people, still trying to steal Jesus' sheep out of his strong hand. Now that Jesus is returning to heaven, as we saw, Jesus prays that his Father will keep us safe in his word, in his name, by means of the powerful presence of that other defender that he's going to send in fullness, the spirit of truth. But we might ask, if, as Jesus says, his apostles are not of this world, as he's not of the world, verse 14, and if Jesus, our defender, is about to leave this dangerous world through his death and resurrection ascension, why should the apostles have to stay behind at all? in this dangerous and miserable world. And Jesus tells us why. He refers in verse 18 to the mission that the apostles have now from Jesus himself. As you sent me into the world, Father, so I have sent them into the world. And in in verse 20, he begins to unpack for us, gives us a glimpse of what that mission is that sending of the apostles is all about because he opens up his prayer in that section which we'll continue in the the next couple of messages uh, to think about. He, He begins to pray not just for those men who were there that evening eavesdropping as he spoke to the Father so that they could hear him and have their joy filled with his joy. He says, I'm not just praying for them, but I'm praying for those who will believe in me through their word that they may also become one. So really, the mission that demands that the apostles stay on earth when Jesus goes to heaven is the mission for you and for me and for all those who've gone before us and all those who will come after us, who come to faith, who have come to faith, who are coming to faith, who will come to faith through the apostles' word given us in the New Testament and conveyed to us by those whom... God calls in every generation to proclaim the word. Jesus leaves them here for our sake. Through the apostles' word, we will come to faith. And not only come to faith, but as we'll see next time, come to a unity in the faith so that the world will see our unity and the world will believe that the Father has sent the Son. That's what he says in verse 21. 
Now earlier in John's gospel, Jesus had already given the hint that there needed to be an extended period of time after his triumphant victory on the cross and in the resurrection. It would need to take place that way. John 10, Jesus speaks as the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And he says in this interesting kind of cryptic statement, I have other sheep who are not of this sheepfold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd, echoing Ezekiel 34, where the Lord says, I'm firing all the shepherds of Israel. I'm going to do the job myself. I will regather my sheep. One flock, one shepherd, other sheep, not just the lost tribes of the northern kingdom, but the Gentiles. John 10, Philip and Andrew bring some Greek pilgrims who've come to Passover to celebrate. God-fearers, maybe, maybe full proselytes, we don't know. But when Jesus sees that little foretaste of the nations, he says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. In that group of Greeks, Gentiles, who wanted to see Jesus, he glimpsed the first fruits of a vaster harvest from the nations, a harvest that could only occur when he had fallen into the earth and then been raised from the dead, when he had died and from his death would burst forth this amazing harvest of life for countless others. And so Jesus has given us the clue that the apostles need to stay on this miserable, sin-cursed earth for a while longer. And of course, he's simply building on what we've always been reading in the scriptures. Because after all, God said to Abraham, in your seed shall all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Peter actually quoted that comment in Acts chapter 3, speaking to Jewish worshipers in the temple, with a very interesting kind of commentary at the end. After quoting that promise to Abraham, he said, God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first bringing you the blessing of turning each of you from your wicked ways. That to you first is Peter's way of saying it's got to go to the nations too. Not just to the biological children of Abraham is a promise that as they turn in faith, they will experience and have experienced the blessing of the servant turning them in faith to the Father. But no, it must go to the nations as well. And so the apostles stay. And they pass on the word in the scriptures to those who build on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And so you're here today and I'm here today because someone or probably in many of our lives, many someones conveyed the apostles' words to us. The apostles' words, which of course are the Father's words, given to Jesus to give to them, to give to us. Bible translators, I know most of you don't need that anymore. You're fluent in Hebrew and Greek, but it's still nice that you got to read it in your own heart language first, right? Preachers, pastors, parents, authors, theologians, Christian believers who had no particular office except that they belonged to Jesus and share in his anointing, as the Heidelberg Catechism says, and therefore had a prophetic ministry to you in sharing the gospel in that very informal way. People who have a passion to see others introduced that's why we stay. 
not just to endure, but because there's a mission. Now, of course, the apostles' distinctive mission was to bear eyewitness testimony to Jesus' resurrection. We read about that in the first chapter of Acts when Peter says there needs to be a replacement for Judas. Scripture says one of the Messiah's closest friends would betray him. There needs to be a replacement to bear witness with us to his resurrection. That's their unique mission of witness. But the whole church's mission of witness in every generation is to build on that once for all foundation given in the apostles and the prophets by teaching and applying the word. The word in which the name of the Father is made known. The word made flesh revealed in the word written. So that evening with his anguish and rejection by the Father in clear view in the next 24 hours, Jesus lifted his sides and he looked down through the generations and he prayed for the mission of the apostles, even for us today. The purpose of that mission is to draw an ever-widening circle of believers to Christ and to unite us so remarkably through this faith that Jesus gives, that the world must recognize our unity and thereby know that the Father sent the Son. Now, for that to happen, Jesus says, there has to be consecration or sanctification. Notice around verse 18, this statement about mission is the language of sanctification or consecration. Verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. Verse 19, for their sake I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Unless you have your Greek New Testament open, which of course you do. You might not guess that that's the same verb all three times. It's hagiadzo, to sanctify or consecrate. Why the ESV translators chose consecrate in one place and not in the other, I'm not sure. I suspect they felt that sanctify has a little bit too much of the association in our minds that it's that it's come to have in our theology of that progress of dealing with our sins so that we are enabled more and more to die to sin and to live to righteousness, that uh, language of the shorter catechism. And they think that can't apply to Jesus, of course, and they're right. It can't apply to Jesus. It cannot. He was holy, harmless, undefiled, had no sin whatsoever. He doesn't need to be sanctified in that sense in, in any way. So they chose consecrate. Well, I'm going to choose consecrate once. Why not all three times? Consecrate them. Set them apart, Father, by the truth. Your word is truth. I consecrate myself so that they may be consecrated by the truth. Now, for us, consecration does entail that subjective work of the Spirit to deal with our sin and to whet our appetites and and to give us a longing for holiness, that's true. But the fundamental purpose here that Jesus is talking about, the one that ties the uses of this term together in these three verses, is this theme of being set apart for the express purpose of God. It's the biblical sense of hagiadzo, in the way that prophets were set apart for the work of God. As God said to Jeremiah, before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. The way that priests were set apart, Exodus 40, God's command to Moses, bring Aaron close and consecrate him and his sons to serve me as priest. The way sacrifices were consecrated, the firstborn of your flock, the firstborn of your herd are to be 
consecrated to the Lord, not to do work, but to be offered as a sacrifice to the Lord. So here Jesus, the consecrated word incarnate, the one whom, as Jesus said back in chapter 10, whom the Father had consecrated and sent into the world, Jesus consecrates himself for the sacrifice that he's about to offer. Not a bull, not a goat, not a ram, but himself. And he does that to consecrate us, to set us apart for this mission, to set us apart for this task, to make us the exclusive property of the Father. Your consecration will not cost you what Jesus' consecration cost him. He set himself apart to bear your guilt and mine and the guilt of all the people of God in all generations. But don't be deceived. Your consecration is costly. He gave his life for you to make you his own. You are not your own, Paul says. You were bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. And the more we realize that Jesus' costly consecration at the cross consecrated us as God's holy servants and holy property. And as Paul even says in Romans 12, living sacrifices to be offered up for God's pleasure and for God's purposes. The more we keep that in mind, the more we will realize that the crucial questions that we need to ask about how we spend our time and energy and attention and money and how we respond to the frustrations and the setbacks of life, the crucial questions are not, does this subject interest me today? Not, does this advance my reputation or career? Not, will others admire me? But rather the crucial question for consecrated people set apart by the blood of the consecrated son is always, how will this serve the glory and purposes of the Father who loved me and gave me to his Son before he began to create the world and then gave his Son for me to make me his own. And together, the question that we should be asking in our congregations, in our churches, as we will see even more next time, our question is always not, how does this help me What have they done for me lately? Those other folks in the church with rivaling and competitive agendas. No, the question is how can together our oneness in the faith of Christ bear witness to the world that the Father has sent his Son with the view that God would bring the nations to believe in the Son through what they see of the fruit of the gospel in the lives of the people of the Son sent on a mission, first in the apostles, now in our generation, to bear witness to the greatness of the grace of God in his Son. Let's pray together. Father, we bow before you, and we acknowledge that we have hardly even the beginning of a clue as to the depth of the meaning when Jesus said to you, for their sake, 
I consecrate myself. As he looked ahead, even later that evening in the garden, as he asked, is there another way? Is there another way for the people of God, for the people of the Son, to be set apart for the Father's glory and for the Father's use, other than that ordeal of enduring your curse in our place on the cross? We stand on the outside and we can't even begin to grasp it but we are amazed by the great price you paid to make us your own. And we acknowledge that that blood of Christ shed there as the one and perfect sacrifice for our sins does make its claim on us, not only cleansing our conscience, but it sets us apart for your service. Keep us mindful of that, Father, please in our tasks, in our studies, in our actions with one another. Keep us mindful that we belong to Jesus and bear his name because he laid down his life to consecrate us for your purpose. We pray in his name. Amen. Copyright 2009, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this broadcast on our website is preferred.